Welcome to Channel Chats. I am not Teresa Carrigal. I am Jessica Baker. I am the Chief Program Officer here at Achieve Unite, and I'm going to be your host for today. Each episode, you know, we talk with industry experts on a variety of channel topics to uncover the latest trends, the best practices, and tips you need to guarantee maximum results from your channel. So today, I'm joined by one of Achieve Unite's own, Mr. Al Chen. Al joins us as a senior advisor. Uh, Al has uh, a great perspective and a unique background working for both a pretty big vendor as well as a high growth reseller. And he's joining us today to share some of his experience and insights with HPE and then growing Dasher in a very high growth model. So welcome to the podcast, Al. Hi, Jessica. Good morning. Hi. So let's um, let's look at this here. You were at HPE for um, a number of years. How many years were you at HPE? 20 years. 20 years. That's a great career tenure. And you left to go to a $27 million reseller, Dasher. Tell me about that experience and that decision. Yeah, so I, I loved every minute of working at Hewlett Packard. And, but after 20 years, I made a decision that I needed to change. I needed to evolve and take the experience and learnings I had at HPE and see if it would translate to something else. Mm -hmm. um, something that I could really put my fingerprints on and try to grow. I, I love that growth mode or hyper growth mode of a company. Mm -hmm. And after nine months of interviewing and making a very difficult decision, I decided to join Dasher Technologies back in 2008 when they were doing about $27 million in revenue. Uh, HPE was certainly the largest piece of that business and so I was chartered with seeing if we could double the business over a, a you know, few years. As it turns out, we grew almost 6x in the 12 mm. years I was there. And it was with great support, great staff. Um, you know, it takes a village, but it was probably the best time of my career. Mm -hmm. And as the pandemic rolled out, you know, I made a decision that uh, it was a good time for me to step out and allow others to kind of grow and ascend and take more responsibility. But you went from 27 to 175 million, uh, a reseller. That's pretty amazing. That I would yeah. say is hyper growth. Um, talk to me about that. What were some of your steps or some of your strategies to make that happen? So as I mentioned, we were very HP exclusive when I joined. It, HP represented the bulk of the business and the rest of it, the balance, really were tangential technologies or vendors that supported HP. Yeah. Um, so after a little bit of time, you know, I made a decision, as much as we love HP and as much as that's still in my DNA, it didn't make sense for us to be so exclusive because HP wasn't exclusive to us. They have 20,000 resellers to work with in the United States. Oh. And after some really mature conversations, you know, we, I went to HP and told them our strategy, which was to diversify our vendor line. We had to make investments in other technologies and other vendors in order to grow. And they were actually very supportive. Yeah. They appreciated the fact that we were so open and honest and not doing it behind their back. 
which back in 2008, 2009, a lot of resellers were doing that and just not being inclusive in their conversations. So it developed a high level of trust with HP because I wasn't being disloyal or we weren't being disloyal. We just had to find other revenue streams. So we went from call it six or eight vendors and HP being 95% of the business Mm -hmm. to when I exited HP was still the bulk of the business, but now we had 90 vendors on the line card. Um, And in order to have that many manufacturers on, you know, that you're selling, it became imperative to have a large technical staff to support and understand what those technologies do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we went from a very small boutique type reseller to one that had over 30 engineers specialized across data center, networking, security, cloud, etc., all in an effort to support our client base. Wow. Um, and all the while, we didn't really expand. You know, it's not like at $175 million, a lot of our competitors might have 150 people on staff. Mm-hmm. We had half that. So we were super efficient. Um, and, you know, we're, I think, very generous to our salespeople, very generous to our staff. Um, and all the while, just kind of growing. And it was an exciting time for us. Um, we really took advantage of a lot of the opportunities that were afforded us in the Bay Area, where we're headquartered. We also expanded into the Pacific Northwest, Southern California, which may as well be a different state, and also in the Southeast. Yeah. So it, it was a really exciting time. So talk to me about that process going from, what did you say, six vendors to 90? Like, what were some of the things you did in selecting vendors that were going to work well within your line card? That's a great question. So, you know, HP has a large breadth of solutions. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll focus on HPE. We also supported and sold HPI, but that was a little less of a focus, let's say. We were really focused in the data center. So we looked at other vendors and technologies that also supported the data center. So it might be a competitor like an HPE competitor like Dell or Cisco or Lenovo, et cetera. Um, Again, not to be disloyal to HPE, but it was HPE isn't necessarily everybody's cup of tea. Mm. And in order to really be the customer's evangelist, we found it necessary to have and offer other vendor technologies. For sure. Um, You know, it, it... And just full disclosure with them too, you know, this is kind of good, better, best, and here's the value you're going to get based on the investment you're about to make. Um, The truth is a lot of data center solutions today are very similar, especially in the server space. Um, However, you know, as you start moving into networking or security, there's lots of other nuances that a customer may really require. And so we, we would spend, it was exhaustive researching the right vendors to add. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just, hey, I've got an opportunity here for a new vendor. Can we add them to the line card? That didn't necessarily make sense for us. We did it on occasion based on the opportunity size, yeah. but we classified vendors as strategic, which were really key to our business. and. We were just as important to them as they were to us. 
that's the top of the pyramid right there. Yeah. Exactly. So, and then there was a secondary level, which was kind of tactical. Then they might move up into strategic eventually. They may also move down into what we would call opportunistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it really came down to the, the nature of the relationship with the executives at the vendor. If there was a high level of trust and they had programs in place that would support our investment to learn about their technologies and get our engineers certified, then we would step through and really make earnest investments in growing that business with them. Uh, it, it did come down to trust though, because you're kind of, it's a little bit of a field of dreams. You know, If you build it, they will come and it, there's no guarantees. So it really became, or it came down to personal relationships. And then in, in the opportunistic space, it may be a onesie twosie thing, or it might be interesting for a few customers, but uh, they weren't necessarily going to get an audience with me. Um, it was going to be at the salesperson or district sales manager level, and they would control and manage that relationship. And then if it elevated, then they would move into tactical and then hopefully move into strategic. Because it's, it's more than just the technology, right? There are all these things in part of the relationship, building trust, having the executive alignment, figuring out how you're going to invest together in this relationship. It, it really is. So beyond the, beyond the technology, what would you say was like the first thing that you looked at when you were evaluating a vendor to potentially take on? Yeah, it, that, that's such a great question. Um, there's so many nuances to this and facets, but I, I do believe if you know, do, you distill it down to the bare essentials, if the vendor really had a strong channel strategy mm-hmm. in, in that they were investing, they had a channel chief in place, there was some level of maturity and they understood what drove our behavior, mm-hmm. meaning they, it, we weren't just an ends to a means, we were a partnership. Mm-hmm. That meant the world to us, yeah. even though the technology may be tangential or less interesting or less impactful, we knew they would have our back. If we went in there and did a pursuit into a client and things kind of went sideways, they would jump in either to support us or make sure uh, there was never a threat to take the business direct. Mm-hmm. You know, that also plays into it. And, and that's kind of the role of the channel chief. If they have somebody that's overseeing the channel, whether it's in North America or globally, then we knew they would have policies in place to protect us. Yeah. That's so important. Very important. And it builds that trust, right? Between right. the two organizations. I think ultimately trust is at the center of, of all of this, of all of these relationships that we have. I want to shift gears here for just a second um, to talk about the vendors. We here at Achieve Unite deal mostly with the vendors. And pretty much every vendor we're dealing with is trying to figure out how to take their offering and put it into a subscription model. So whether it's software as a service or a platform as a service or whatever it is as a service, changing the vendors uh, or changing the vendors in the way that they do business is also putting some pressure on the partners to change the way that they do business and take on all of these as a service offerings. So do you think that 
every partner and every solution provider needs to jump on that bandwagon with the vendors in this subscription world? You know, I, I, I do think there's an evolution that we're in the middle of. Uh, as you just articulated, vendors are moving and pivoting into a subscription-based business. They mm -hmm. want that annuity, let's say. And by having extended contracts in place, their performance and measurables become way more predictable. It's not just deal by deal. You know, they're inspecting pipeline on a monthly or quarterly basis. You know, there's some predictability around it. Mm -hmm. As a reseller, we would love that too. But it's hard to pivot from a transactional hardware sale into this type of model. So what we did was there, there are certain vendors out there, and I'll use Palo Alto as an, as an example. Okay. Palo Alto, you know, huge in the security space, and they made a decision to start pivoting and offering kind of cloud subscriptions for their products. Mm -hmm. That was an easy move for us because A, we already had a relationship with Palo Alto. B, we understood their technologies. So this was effectively just a different route to market or a different sales motion. Mm -hmm. Now it was slow to grow, um, but we had it in the quiver and we knew that if that came up or, um, oh, by the way, we were also handsomely rewarded for moving customers away from buying hardware wow. into this cloud offering. Incentivized so, from the vendor. Incentivized, yeah. exactly. So as a result, salespeople would certainly have the conversation. Um, the, the better salespeople understood that and would promote and push customers in that direction. Um, but we also had the hardware sale to fall back on. For a reseller that's been selling data center products as we were to adopt a true cloud strategy, whether it's with Amazon or Google or Microsoft, it's, it's hard. The certification levels that they require are very high. And if your utilization on the engineering side of the house is already high and maximized, where do you find time to go get those certifications? Mm -hmm. it, it could be 40, 80 hours of non-billables that you suddenly have to dedicate and to use in this space. That's and a lot of opportunity cost for a, a partner, a smaller partner, right? Yeah. You think about two months, that's one sixth of somebody's time, again, for a year to go and chase and understand this new route to market. And it may not bear fruit, mm -hmm. right? So it's a, it's a substantial investment for the reseller that I don't believe most manufacturers or cloud companies really understand. Right. Now, if you're born in the cloud, then that's all you do, right? You don't do the transactional hardware anyway. So you've already kind of made the investment or jumped through because that's your strategy. But it's hard to have a foot in both camps. Right. You're tied to the past because it pays the bills, but you know where the future is going. Mm -hmm. And so... It, it, it's almost case by case and the resellers all have to make their own decisions on when and how quickly they want to adopt the strategy. Mm. I think there's an inevitability. They, they just have to be very prescriptive around how they do it. Yeah, yeah. So um, how about a little visionary? Where do you think the channel is headed right now? 
Oh, great question. So I think there's so much consolidation going on. Uh, and, and not to characterize or uh, bucketize everybody, but a lot of resellers are closer to my age. The owners are you know, approaching 60. They've done very well. They're kind of at the end of the road and you know, they're ready to exit. And so you've seen a lot of consolidation happening already. And I think that's going to continue. And it's also easier for let's say somebody like a Dasher who, had, who is traditionally a hardware sales reseller to go buy or acquire somebody that has a cloud strategy. So some, suddenly you've got both and you can cross pollinate. Right. I don't know how quickly those things are happening, but I think that's a quick cure to the certification process and uh, to establish some level of cloud strategy there. Meanwhile, you've got other, you know, the big guys are going to continue to get bigger and there's a race for growth. There's so much opportunity out there right now. Uh, customers are now starting to pivot and understand that a reseller truly is their evangelist and they have to use a channel partner to help um, understand all the offerings that are out there, what the best strategy might be for their data center or for their IT infrastructure. Um, it, it's, it's a really exciting time. You know, you've seen distributors consolidate. You know, who would have guessed that Cinex and Tech Data would merge? Who would have guessed that Tech Data a few years ago would have acquired an AvNet? You know, what used to be three, four, five large distributors has been distilled down to a few. Um, you know, and in Ingram Micro certainly is still out there, but nevertheless, um, I would never have expected that, and yet it happened. It happened. So uh, I think there's a level of maturity that's happening uh, in the industry. I also wonder whether or not, you know, if a distributor truly is specialized in logistics, uh, is there somebody out there like a FedEx or a UPS that might be, might buy a distributor and suddenly they cut out the logistics piece of it, right? The, the pick, pack, and ship. They're so good at it. Is there a role for them in this equation? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I do think the industry is certainly adopting cloud very quickly. Um, and you, know, you don't want to be behind that curve. You've got to chart out a course to get on the, the path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that consolidation, though, is such a valid point. I don't think there's a day that goes by that I don't get some sort of alert in my email that, you know, so-and-so is buying so-and-so and some things you never thought you would see happen, um, they're coming true. So um, that's uh, definitely spot on. So we are coming to the end of our uh, time here together, Al. Any parting thoughts that you want to send off or share with our audience? So after I retired, quote unquote, retired in 2020, um, I, I thought I was done for good. You know, I, I had done very well. Uh, what I realized after about a year, there was still a lot of fuel in the tank. Mm -hmm. And so I started up my own consulting business. Um, it's very similar to the mission statement of Achieve Unite. And I didn't know Teresa. Uh, the relationship was brokered by a mutual friend. Mm -hmm. And 
it just made so much sense for me to join Achieve Unite in this type of role, because I do have a great passion for helping people grow their business. Uh, it is, I love seeing people be successful. Mm -hmm. And I do think the channel plays a huge role, whether it's in IT or healthcare or whatever industry you might be, as long as it's a two tier type relationship, growing the channel and investing in channel relationships is an imperative. Absolutely. And uh, I, I love what Teresa has built. Um, I love being a part of this company and just being a facilitator and a help to help companies grow and invest in the channel. So that's my part of thought. It's been a lot of fun being part of the team. And we love having you as part of the family here at Achieve Unite. So until next time, uh, we uh, wish you well. We'll talk to you later in our next channel chat. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Channel Chats. For more information on Achieve Unite and the latest in channel news and trends, head over to AchieveUnite.com. And don't forget to join us next month for a new episode.